0: Hey, good morning, everyone. So glad to be here with you today. And we're going to jump into a series for a couple of weeks. And then, boom, Easter. Uh, What we're looking at in these next couple of weeks is the final days of Jesus' life. We like to do series like this leading up to that glorious day, Easter. We believe by doing this, by looking into these final days of Jesus, we're going to see activity, things Jesus is doing, and saying that that's going to change our life uh, in a supernatural way. Now, I want you to take the index card. You were either handed it when you, were, when you walked in today, or you might be seeing an index card in, in, in the front of the seat where you are, and it should be a pen. Some of you didn't take anything when you handed in, and you probably won't partake in this. And Okay, you can sit on the sidelines. You've probably been there for a long time. You're probably going to stay there. Uh, so, so I want you to take that index card. Got an illustration up there on the screen. And what I want you to do is I want you to write your name on the top of the index card, right? And then I want you to turn around, and I want you to, a couple lines down, I want you to, uh, a couple of spaces down, I want you to turn around and uh, make two dashes, one on the left and one on the right. And then on, um, you know, then on one on the left, put your name. I'm sorry, put your, you got your name at the top. The one on the left, you're going to put the year you were born. And then after the dash, you'll put... Yeah, you can hide that from the person sitting next to you if you want. That's fine. And then after the dash going from left to right, you're going to put two zero and a question mark. Because unless you've got some certain power that I don't have and no one I've ever met has, you don't know when that date's coming, right? So, now... And make sure there's a dash in the middle. Make sure you've got a dash in between those two lines. So... We didn't get many choices when it comes to the information on his card, right? I mean, you didn't get to choose your name. You didn't get to choose the year you were born, right? And, and, and you don't get to choose the year you're going to die, huh? You know? So when it comes to Jesus, though, he knew all these details about his life and many other details about his life that we would never have known and we'll never know about ours, Right? It says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life again. Hold on to those cards. Jesus is telling his disciples, when he, when he, when he shares these words with them that we just read in Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16 it's about one year before his death, one year before his death, he's telling his disciples he's going to die, how he's going to die. He's giving, giving them other significant, significant details related to his death. Now, if you were to tell me and, and tell me that a year from now I'm going to die, and this is where I'm going to die, and that's how I'm going to die... Well, then I would put three plans in place, A, B, and C, and they all would be escape, escape, and escape, and run the other way, and run the other way, and run the other way. I would not go there, right? But Luke says about Jesus and his gospel that when it came time for Jesus' departure, meaning his death, he set his face towards Jerusalem. He told his disciples, I have come that I might give my life as a ransom for many, for you and for me. When you look at the life of Jesus and go through the Gospels, you'll find that he lived with a great focus, with an intense focus, because he knew that his time was limited. The truth is, our time is limited as well. That's what that card is kind of telling you. You have a limited amount of time left, huh? Now, we don't know how much is left. We see in Psalm 90, verse 12, it says it's this little prayer, it's a prayer within a prayer. It says, Teach us, meaning Lord, teach us, to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Numbering your days brings wisdom into the decisions you make and the way you live out your life, you know? Life is short, we forget this, right? Our days are numbered. We we just we kinda conveniently ignore that and put it aside, right? But yet, when we realize that our days are numbered, are limited, you know, we tend to make better decisions, wiser decisions in our life. More intentional decisions. More productive decisions. Huh? You know, and and now... Granted, you know, life is pressing day in and day out, sometimes hour to hour. Yesterday, I had one of those minute-to-minute days right through the whole day. I mean, from when I got up at like 5 o'clock in the morning, it didn't end. And we, I had to go to a wedding. I wasn't officiating wedding. So, okay, I'm going to get to the wedding, and I'm just going to sit down, and I'm just going to relax. I went to take out my phone. I'm like, yeah, I don't like it when I'm up there doing it, so I'm not going to do it to this guy. I put my phone away, and I'm going to relax. So I'm sitting there, and they come up. And they're like, Mr. Truong? I'm like, yeah. They're like, yeah, you know, um, we don't think the reverend's going to show up. You're the only uh, ordained guy in here. Can you do the wedding? There's about this many people there. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll I'll do the wedding, right? Okay. And so so now I'm sitting there and, and... I'm like, is the bride here? No, she's not here yet. Okay, great. Just when she gets here, tell me. So I'm sitting there on my phone. Phone's back out. And, and I'm, pre- I'm preparing a wedding. Because they said, could you do it in 10 or 15 minutes, the wedding? Things have been delayed. It's going crazy. I'm like, okay. So I'm trying to put together a wedding in 10 or 15 minutes. I go back there. They're all set. People are like kind of intense. And I'm like, does the bride know what's going on? No, no, no. She, she's, she's at work. I'm like, uh, she needs to know what's going on. You know, this is her minister, man. This is her pastor. And so, uh. I said, look, look, you know, has anybody heard from the guy? Well, he called five minutes ago said he's not far away. He should be here in about maybe 10 minutes. But, you know, he said that about 40, 40 minutes ago. And I said, look, let's give him seven more minutes. You go tell the bride what's going on. Let's just calm this down. He showed up literally, literally on the seventh minute as I was getting ready to go in there and go up. Okay? So, so it was just one of those days, right? Minute to minute to minute to minute. It moves so fast, right? Yet... It, it, so you want to be intentional about doing things to, to kind of, give you this perspective that there's a limited time. I, I'll share with you a couple of things that I do. At least one, uh, I've been doing it along the way. Uh, well, two things, same premise, and that is uh, I write my kids letters. You know, and what it is is you know it could be a letter, it could be a paragraph, like just a few sentences. Could be a could be a page and a half. And as their lives are going on and, and things happen in their life, I'll stop and I'll write it down quickly, like what they did in the situation. If we had a disagreement, if there was a, something that happened, if they did something really wonderful, or if they did something that really wasn't the best in them, I will just not always, but at times, I'll make it a note and I'll write it down in a letter. And I put the date on it, and I write a little note, and I put it away in a folder. And then when they turn 18, I give them... Like when Justin turned 18, I gave him a stack of, I don't know, 14, 15, 18 letters. My intention was to write a book. Yeah, okay, life, it's busy, man, right? But what that does is every time I go back and I'm looking at those letters, when I put another one, I'm like, wow, that was a year ago. Wow, that was three months ago. Wow, that was two years ago. Man, time is moving, right? It's going fast. The, what else we, Christian and I, would do is, you know, the composition books, the black and white books, we'll take those books and for a child, we put like Joy. You know, day she was born, and then like, you know, in 2009, you know, Joy likes Barney. You know, Joy likes applesauce. We, you know, we put down her favorite food, her favorite song, her favorite movie, things about her personality. You know, uh, you know, all different, you know, we just write that down. And then 2012 and then 2014, we're just writing these things down about each child, you know, every year. Sometimes two years will go by. Sometimes we get together, we open up the books of all the kids, all of us, and we read them, we laugh, we joke around. Some of them get mad. That's not true. I never did that that wasn't my favorite color pink was never my favorite color right no no pink was your favorite color buddy okay (laughs) and uh, but all this helps us realize they're not going to be with us forever in our home there's a limited amount of time coming my twins my twins we Jason and Janelle in less than two weeks gonna hit 17 years old man where did I I didn't know what to do then when they came out and I'm still struggling to figure out what to do now what's harder Two twins or a seventeen-year-old girl, <laughs> you know. No, no, no. And J- Jason's just as difficult in his own way. Just having fun with you, you know. No, I'm blessed. you know, you know, it's a doll, huh? But you know, it—it's like, man, it just moves so fast, right? So we want to be intentional, huh? I'm also reminded by God as I'm doing this and I'm reflecting because I'm doing this with an in, in, intentionally. I'm doing this to realize my time is limited. I'm doing this because I want to honor God and make my days count when I'm here. So in that frame of mind, I'm realizing, you know what? That who I am now is going to make a big determination on, on who my children will be then. Yes? Make your time count, huh? Now, An older person, senior citizen, if you will, once said that life is like a roll of toilet paper. The closer you get to the end, the faster it goes, right? (laughs) Only an older person would say that. I would never say that, but I did, so I'm responsible. Look, acknowledging that life is short helps our perspective, right? You know, a couple of months back, once or twice a year, I'll, I'll, I'll do a funeral. I was, I was talking to the huddle uh, this morning. We had 56 volunteers in our huddle this morning. Uh, come on. How awesome is that? I was telling them that, you know, I, I'll do a couple of funerals each year, or, uh, and, uh, and it really helps my perspective on this topic, you know? You know, uh, that life is short, and it really helps me glean into what, what really matters the most, Huh? And that and helps me want to make my days better and matter more and more. Listen, when you realize your days are counting down, you really want to make your days count. You hear that? Now, you might not officiate funerals, right? But you want to process that prayer that we read in Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us to number our days. Teach us, God, to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom That we're going to choose wisely, we're going to think wisely, we're going to assess wisely, that our perspective is going to be one that honors you, God, and benefits us here day to day. We don't know how many days we had left. Jesus knew exactly how many numbers of days he had left. Now, we're going to go into a situation in the scripture. Jesus has got maybe about two weeks to go in his life, he goes to a funeral. You know, and it's the funeral of a, of a good friend, a close friend named Lazarus. We're going to go to chapter, John chapter 11, and we'll go to John chapter 11, verse 1. And this story of Lazarus being raised from the dead, it's one of the most popular stories in all the New Testament. If you go to Rome, you'll see, I mean, there's just a plethora of paintings of the life of Jesus. But you'll see one of the scenes that dominates the landscape is this scene of Jesus Raising Lazarus from the dead. It's a powerful story because it reveals, you know, who Jesus is and, and what he came to do. And not only is you are going to see just raising Lazarus from the dead, but even more so what he said as much as what he did, right? Now, if anybody knew how to make their life count, it was Jesus, right? Jesus lived on earth for 33 years, yet all of history hinges on his life unconsciously, when you wrote down the date of your birth right there, you referenced the year of Jesus' birth. Our calendar is tied to Jesus, huh? So much of who we are and what we do, our moral compass in cultures, even cultures that somewhat have kind of distanced themselves from church that might even say, they no, don't believe in God, the fundamental uh, the, the co- part of the compass of who they are in their moral structures came from Judeo-Christianity, came from the life of Jesus, Jesus has changed history one life at a time. So John chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This is the Mary whose brother Lazarus now lay sick. It was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. So he hears this. His response. Now, Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha, they live in a town called Bethany. Bethany is about two miles from Jerusalem, right? So maybe parts of Garnet to parts of Westminster. And Jesus, whenever he would go to Jerusalem, would stop off in Bethany there. Now, he hasn't been been in Bethany for some time because the last time he went there, they tried to kill him, tossing some pretty serious rocks at his head. But now here's Lazarus, a close friend, and he's very ill. We don't know what happened. Maybe he found a lump, went to a doctor. I'm sorry, sir, there's nothing we can do for you. Mary and Martha, they say, you know what? We know what to do. We'll call Jesus, you know, because we've seen Jesus heal many people who were sick and who were ill, and he didn't even really know them. They were strangers. Certainly, he's going to heal our brother Lazarus, who he knows and who he loves dearly. John chapter 11, verse 6. It says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Wow. Two more days he stayed there. On Friday, I was making some calls. I called um, Doug Marchant up to, you know, want to talk to him about some things around the church. Want to talk to him, see how he was doing. And he said, oh, he goes, I'm lying in a hospital bed. I said, there you go. I said, what's up? He said, well, my, my intestines are twisted. Now, those of you who know Doug Marchant, this would not be a surprise that Doug's intestines are twisted, right? Sometimes a guy looks like he's a little twisted inside, right? <laughs> the way he talks, the way he looks. It's an affectionate but true statement, all right? So a few hours later, <laughs> Christy and I, we go to Haywood Hospital, and um, guess what? Doug's not there. Turns out, we find out in different ways that he's been transferred. All right, so got, you know, again, you know, minute to minute, long day. So 11 o'clock at night, I, uh, I go and I show up at, uh, Hay- I show up at UMass um, Memorial Hospital because that's usually where you go if you're having intestinal issues and they send you down to the UMass campus. So I go in there. Doug Marchand isn't there either. So now my intestines are twisted, right? But they tell me now he's over in the uh, university campus five minutes away. So I go over there, get there, actually a little after 11. I'm hanging out. I was able to see him uh, before, spend some time with him before they took him off, really, actually, for a procedure. Uh, And they were going to now take him down for a procedure to see what's going on after that. Uh, Now, turns out, uh, and he was just telling me, I just really want to get back home. I want to get back home. Turns out, thank God, that he... uh, he was able to go back home the next day. He is going to have to consider surgery in the days coming, so you want to keep Doug in your prayer. But what, what happened there? You know, talk to Doug. Hey, the first call, he said, I don't know. They're telling me I might have to have surgery, and, or they might have to do, give me some medication. Maybe I won't have to have surgery. So I'm like, okay, l- let, me, let me get in. I know his wife is in Indiana, you know. You know, his wife, uh, I, I, don't, I think she went to Indiana before she heard about the surgery, but I'm not sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But I'll give her the benefit of the doubt that she went to Indiana to be with her daughter. All right, so I'm no longer friends with the Martians after this, right? It's over. (laughs) But but the point was, I I heard and I went. Jesus waits two days after being told Lazarus, Lazarus is very ill to go see him, right? Sometimes, despite our most sincere and intense prayers, God doesn't show up when and how we want him to, right? Cancer isn't cured foreclosures still go through. Jobs are lost. This verse, Jesus says, it says that Jesus, he loved them so much that he waited because of his love for them, because he knew there was a bigger story playing out, one that would change history, one that would, you know, just write their eternity forever. Verse 4 tells us that God is going to be glorified even in sickness, even in suffering. God will be glorified It's like John chapter 11, verse 7. It says, And then he, Jesus, said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews, Jewish leaders, they tried to stone you, and yet you're going to go back there? So Jesus responds by saying, pretty much the summary of it is, Hey, I'm needed. I must go. We're going. They get to Bethany, and there's a full-blown funeral going on. Jesus shows up. Martha comes out and approaches him. Let's look at verse 21 of chapter 11. It says, "Lord," Martha said to Jesus, "if you had been here, my brother would have not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask." Jesus said to her, "Your brother will rise again, Martha." And Martha answered, "I know he will I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day." She's like, "Yes, Jesus, I know." I've listened, i followed you. We are all going to rise on that last day when we're all resurrected and we're going to go into eternity, right? And then Jesus makes this statement to her. It's one of the most powerful statements in all of the Bible. In John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus says this. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? What Jesus is saying, this audacious statement is, I am God. I am God. Right? I mean, because it's a statement that only God would make. It, could you imagine, you know, you calling me up and saying, you know, I call you up. Yeah, hey, Dave, what's up? Good. Uh, I'm having a really hard day today. I got to call Yesterday, And, you know, that's just, uh, you know, one of my relatives died. I'm like, you know what? Well, hey, come on. Let's, let's go out. Let's go to Dunkin' Donuts. We'll sit down. We'll have coffee. We get to Dun- Dunkin' Donuts. We're talking. I lean over. And I basically turn around and I tell you, you know what? Hey, look at me. I am the resurrection. I am the life. If you believe in me, if your relative believes in me, they will not never die. And you'd what would you do? What would you say to that? Right? You know, you'd say, you know what? Third floor, Haywood, soon as possible, man. <laughs> right? come on. So I guess all of you have been a third I thought I was the only one who had third floor but okay. Jesus is saying, I am the personification of life. And I'm promising you that I'm going to make sure that death doesn't get the last word in this world. I have overcome death. The one who believes in me joins me in that victory. Jesus asked Martha, do you believe this? Verse 27 She says, yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. That's a powerful question Jesus asked, powerful then and powerful now. Do you believe who I am, Jesus is saying? You know, a lot rides on that question. Do you believe who Jesus says he is? And how you answer that question within yourself. Now, after that, Martha goes back home, tells her sister Mary, Jesus is here, and he's asking for you. Verse 32 of chapter 11, When Mary reached a place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So she she makes the same statement that Martha did. And look what Jesus does. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, some of them were paid to weep, but she was sincerely weeping, he was deeply moved and spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. In verse thirty-five, shortest verse in all of Scripture. If you ever got to memorize a verse for anything, this is it right here. Okay, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, "See how he loved him." Jesus wept. Why did he weep? He knew what he was going to do, right? He knew he was going to raise. You know, it would be like you know, you know, what? Well, yeah, I'm psyched here. I go. You know, I'm going to. I'm gonna jam this, watch this, get ready, and I know how this is gonna end. I know it's gonna this is gonna be like a party time, it's gonna be amazing. Right? I, you probably wouldn't even have a bit of sorrow in you, right? You you know what you're gonna do, it's phenomenal. People are gonna be flipping, jumping up and down, cartwheels. But she says Jesus wept. Hmm. He knew what was happening, yet he wept. And and perhaps the question is because he knew. For the days that he had not come there, that Mary was in such sorrow, huh? that Mary was in such pain, right? Huh? That, he, that they're thinking, where is God? Where is God? Why isn't he showing up? Why didn't God show up? Why didn't Jesus show up? What's happening here? That they would even be in that place with God and with himself. Jesus weeps. Look, when we, and Jesus is saying to Mary, and he's saying to us, look at me. I weep. I feel sorrow for you. Mary, Jesus wants Mary to see a Savior who feels sorrowful for her, who meets her where she is. Jesus wants us right now here today to see that. I meet you where you are. And when you hurt, I hurt. When you're sorrowful, I'm sorrowful. I meet you where you are. When we look to Jesus, we find a God that meets us in our sorrow. Jesus weeps with Mary. Jesus weeps with you. Now, he wanted Mary to know, and I don't know if they put this up on the screen. I I shouldn't have bolded it, but here we go. He wanted Mary to know, I care. He wants you to know that you matter, and he loves you. Now, Mary and Martha are disappointed, in a sense. They're looking for a sort of a healing, and Jesus isn't going to give them a healing. Jesus is going to give them a resurrection, huh? Verse 38, Jesus once more deeply moved. Deeply moved, it says, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a large stone laid across the entrance. Take the stone away, he said. You see that word, that phrase, deeply moved? In, in the original language, when this was written, it was written in Greek, and in the original Greek language, that, that the words there for deeply moved, it described like a, lo- a loud, strong snort. I practiced that I could do, but I'm not going to, because sometimes it worked, and sometimes it didn't, and sometimes it was messy. So I'm not going to do that. But it's, but it's a loud, like a war horse. <laughs> That's what came out of him. Think about that. Like an anger, like a... came out of him. Why? Why was he angry? Because he was the prince of life. Because he despises death. Because death had taken his best friend. Because death takes the one he loves. But he knew that he is going to overcome the cross, And that's when the weeping was for Mary, but the... was for Satan. You hear that? Do you see that? Like, I've overcome this. I can't stand death. I can't stand the decay of life. I can't stand the pain of this broken world. I have overcome this. And I'm going to this battle, and I'm going to win this battle, huh? Jesus goes to the tomb where Lazarus is, and he tells him to take this stone away. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time, there's a bad odor, for he has been there for day, four days. Then Jesus said, and, and four days was significant because sometimes they thought maybe within the first couple of days, the spirit might have been hanging around, and, and maybe something could still be going on. They had all these superstitions that, you know, but by the fourth day, that was it, man. This dude is done. It's over. Four days. Nobody could question. Jesus says in verse 40, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Right? Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Take them off. Amazing picture. Lazarus walking out of the tomb, all the grave clothes still on his face, and Jesus tells him to take it off. Now, why did Jesus do that? Well, probably he couldn't see where he was going. That's my guess, right? I don't know. You don't need Greek to figure that one out, right? You know? Okay. So Lazarus is alive. It's a great story. It tells us of who Jesus is and what he came to do. The story gives us this insight on how Jesus was making his days count. Time was limited. I'm closer and closer now. He's two weeks away from when he knows he's going to leave this earth, huh? If you want to make your days count, be purposeful. Be purposeful. Huh? I've had, as I've shared before, many opportunities to come alongside people in their last days. A couple of weeks left, days left, hours left. Huh? And they're very purposeful as their days are limited more and more. They become more intentional about how they live out their days, you know? Until that point, writer Kerry Shook says most people until that time when they realize there's a limited time left, they live out with this someday syndrome, right? This is how he describes it. For many people, their favorite day is someday. Someday I'm going to spend more time with my kids. Someday I'm going to make my relationship with God better, more meaningful, and and I'm going to trust Him. Someday I'm going to love my wife or my husband better. Someday. Someday I'm going to start serving and helping and caring for others more. huh? Someday I'm going to stop this problem, thinking this way, doing this thing. I'm going to get this out of my life someday. Right? Now, the way we think is that someday will come when things settle down, right? At a better time, when things aren't so crazy, so demanding. You know what? Things never settle down. They never do. Don't wait. I don't, right? Things never settle down. Sometimes I'll tell Christi, yeah. And, and, I, and I immerse myself in chaos sometimes. I tell my wife, you know, yes, when this, once this day comes, things will calm down. And she looks at me, she just shakes her head. She goes, you say that all the time. I said, I know I do. I know. Look, things don't settle down. Don't wait for that someday, day, Right? Living purposefully will help you break free from this someday syndrome that haunts you and deters you from what God has for you. Jesus lived purposely and he existed to glorify his father in heaven. Everything he did came out of that purpose. Your purpose drives your priorities, right? If we don't know our purpose and other things and will just detract us and deter us from what's most important to us. Jesus lived with purpose, and that's because he continually, day to day, was drawing closer to his Father in heaven. Listen, the more you draw closer to God in your thoughts, in your time, in times of prayer, the more you consider him, the more you are are seeking him, you will find him, the more you're going to discover your purpose, the more you're going to discover what is most meaningful in life, the more you're going to realize that you're going to understand what meaning is, and that meaning is life, and you're going to grasp the depth of it and the breadth of meaning. Find your purpose in God. You get that index card out again, right? You got that pen? And I want to ask yourself this question. What do I want the people I love the most to say about me at my funeral? You've probably heard this before, but in context here, maybe it'll resonate. What do I want the people who I love the most to say about me at my funeral? Hmm? I give thought to this. I, I, I give thought to what I want to put on my tombstone, but then I think maybe I should be created, so then I'll have to put like a banner or something like up on the walls of these statements, you know? He ran his race. He poured out his life. He fought the good fight, huh? Toss a bunch of thoughts out. And after you do that now you know and and, and you know uh, you could just you could write single words but then and you you don't have to do finish it up now but at some point today i'd like you to take all these different words and maybe a few sentences and i want it, i want you to make it into one sentence i want you to whittle it down into this really intentional statement this is what i want the people who love me to say about me in this sentence at my funeral huh and now, it's just a way of helping you to set those priorities to see what's most important. But here's the thing. You don't have to wait till your health fails or until tragedy hits to live out your life highly intentionally, right? If you want to make your days count, live on purpose. Live with, to, geared towards most, most important to you, huh? If you want to make your days count, be fully present. I struggle with this, man, because I'm like... You know, you know right? ADHD and HD, that's me, right? Something, right? Something happens when you realize you have limited time left. You make each moment count. You try and make them count. You realize when you've lost a moment, you're like, shoot, I, I could have prayed with them that last night and I didn't. You know, And I'm not telling you to live in regret. I actually had to kind of struggle with that as I was living out my life this way. I had to kind of back it up and give myself some room. But you realize, why, wow, I, I, I could have prayed with them before they went to sleep last night, or oh, you know what? I, I could have said something nice to her before I left. And let me So you're, you're, you're in this mode of living intentionally geared towards what's most meaningful, because you want to make the moments count. You want to make life count, huh? You see, in these final days living up to Jesus' death. The ending of his life, you, you don't see him getting frantic and, and desperate. You see him more and more focusing on people, getting closer and closer into people's life, having more intentional, meaningful, deep discussions with his disciples, right? And he's giving them more and more attention. To be fully present, to be present, you must give attention to people. When you give someone attention, you're, you're letting them know you're important, right? You ever been in a, in a meeting with somebody and their phone rings and they grab it and they look at it and they're like, they look at you, they look at you, they look at it. Hold on. <laughs> that, that puts you right there where you are in the poll, right? <laughs> you're, you're not the most important I'm meeting with. My phone rings. If I'm with, with how much somebody use my phone, never rings. You never hear it because I have it on silent. I don't know. If so, but, but if, and usually I turn my phone over. Now if I, if, but I do, it does vibrate. And if it does vibrate, I'll turn around and say, excuse me one second. I just want to make sure that's not my wife. I look, it's not my wife. Boom, right in. Yeah. And then, and then my full attention is them. No matter who it is, I'll never take a call. When I'm with somebody you know i i i if if I'm talking with you because it you, you, you and that goes for all you wanna you, you want to give people your attention huh now there's a reason why you you want to let them know you're paying attention to them right now there's a reason why they call it paying attention it's because it costs you something right you're going to have to say no somewhere. You're going to have to pay the price something. Might be your job, might be your friend, might be the number, but, if, but it's, it's going to cost you something. That's why they call it paying attention. But it's a price worth paying, right? And in case you're not sure, take out that index card and look at it, right? And then you'll realize you're going to say, if you say yes to one thing, you're going to say no to another. What are you going to say yes to and what are you going to say no to, huh? Be present, you know? Jesus gave Mary and Martha attention. He gave them what they needed. He ma- See, the more you give people attention, the more you're focused on them, the more you're going to be able to give them what they need in the moment and meet them where they are in the moment, huh? And that's what Jesus did for Mary and Martha. Now, the third way of living out this way to make our days count is to be powerful, to live out powerfully. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 it says, for the spirit, of, the, the, the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. It's a great verse. When people come to the end of their lives, you know, what do they do? When people, are, you know, I, I've told you several things they do, but some people, if they still have it in them, they take risks, right? They do. When people know that their time is limited, they tend to turn around and say, you know what, I'm going to do what I've never always wanted to do, but I didn't do. Or I never thought I could do, but I'm going to give it a shot. You know, did you ever see that movie, The Bucket List? It's kind of a cool movie. They know they two guys are—they they pretty much have been given a, you know, a death certificate, right? And and, and they set out to do these things. Like, uh, Jack Nicholson was in the movie, and he's driving a race car. Then he's jumping out of a plane. I did these things when I was 21. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and uh, and really, in a sense, I always say, you know, I, I really don't think I cared at, at that point. I was just—I was off to what? I was insane, you know. So I was like, I don't care. And I was doing all these warp things. I can't swim. I want white water rafting. It's a whole other story. Anyway, so in this movie with Jack Nicholson, he, uh, he goes race car driving. He jumps out of a plane. He, all know, he knows he's going to die. But there's one thing that he's scared of doing. There's one risk that he's not taking. He was scared to step out to reconcile his relationship with his daughter. He was scared of having that conversation with his daughter that he was now estranged from and hadn't talked to her in years. He even had a grandchild, you know, that he hadn't seen in a long time. But he was scared to take the risk to have that conversation. Sometimes the things that require the most courage are asking forgiveness, of, uh, is to have that conversation with that person you love and you know things are not right, Huh? Now, where do you need power in your life right now? Where do you need to be powerful in your life right now to make your days count? In what relationship, in what situation in your life right now? I want you to know that when you step out as you think about it, it's not your power. It is God's power just surging through you, huh? Working through you to enable you to be powerful in the moment, huh? Perhaps it's that conversation. Asking for forgiveness, or it's that conversation of, of just offering, professing to someone, please, please, you know, or or giving somebody forgiveness, or asking them for forgiveness. You know, it's a powerful thing to do. Jesus was powerful in his last days. Jesus, in his sense, in our, you know, limited cognition, Jesus took risks. Going to Bethany, you know, where he they almost you know wanted to kill him. It was a risk, right? Jesus goes to Lazarus' funeral. He interrupts it. And by interrupting that funeral, he in this sense now facilitates his own funeral. That's what he did. He knew that once he would raise this man that everybody knew was dead, that that would be it. That the religious leaders, the establishment there would now set out to say, no way, he's dead. Calls himself God, raises a man from the dead, we're going to kill him now. So Jesus set the scenes in motion for them to set out to kill him. Jesus was powerful. In the face of all that risk, he remained powerful. He made his days count. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. Believe this. I can be powerful. I can have that conversation. I can take that risk that's going to honor and glorify God. I can do this. This is who I am. This is who he says I am. This is what is inside of me. I no longer need to hold to my way of navigating this, of managing it, of handling it, or not handling it. I am going to be powerful today through the Spirit of God that lives in me. Mm -hmm. so and you can do that be powerful when I go out there you know and make your days count when I go you know i mean, 11 o'clock at night I'm just like you I'm tired you say well you're doing that because you're a minister no I'm doing that because I love Doug haven't I always done stuff like that when I'm licensed ordained minister pastoring she doesn't listen to me. She never listens to me. I get that. I get that. I get that all the time. I get that all the time. Oh, I'm so used. It's okay. It's all right. All right. Anyway. Okay, okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Right. What, what I was saying here was that what I'm saying is that I didn't go to see Doug at 11 o'clock in the hospital because I'm a minister. Because oh, I'm a pastor. I go there because I love him. Right? And, 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 and it just impressed on me. I said to Chris, I a man, his wife's in Indiana, you know, and, uh, you know, he's up there. You know what? I know the guy, he's kind of giving that. she probably tell me, no, don't come, don't come. I'm fine. I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and get in there. Right? Now, what I'm saying is, did I do that when I w- did not have my credentials or I wasn't a pastor and I wasn't in ministry? Did I do that as well? Yeah, I've always done it when I'm in a church. Why? Because I'm a believer in Jesus, because the Spirit of God lives in me, because there's another opportunity to make my day count. It's 11 o'clock at night. I got another hour in my day. I can get up off my butt, drive to this hospital, and really make an impression on this man that I love him. I can put some legs on my prayers. Why wouldn't I do that? Come on. It's a beautiful thing, really. I'm t- and you know what? I'm a better guy driving home that night. Really, I am. It's kind of like if you stuffed your face with Twinkies the whole day and then you went on an exercise bike before you went to bed and you feel better about the 150 Twinkies you ate, right? That's what I do. Whatever went on that day, this, that, I I lay my head down thinking, you know what, God, thank you for your mercy, you know, that you've taken a sinner like me, a disturbed person like me, restless, anxious, selfish, and look at what you've created. You've created somebody who notices other people and who's not so immersed in himself and so selfish anymore. You've created somebody that actually cures and feels, feels for, the, for other people. And thank you for enabling me to do that. And man, that's, that now my faith lives in me. Yes? Man, be on the lookout for other people. Make your days count. And you know what? I'm going to tell you right now. Years from now, Doug might not remember a lot of my sermons, but he'll remember when I visited him. I promise you. Right? Yeah, yeah you have an opportunity to make your day count. It's all around you. It's here in your church community. It's sitting next to you. Notice people. Be willing to notice them and be willing to put some legs on your prayers and to make your days count. Look, are we spending our lives on things that are going to matter 100 years from now? Are we spending our lives on the conversations that are going to be heard and talked about in eternity? So you go back to, go back to that index card. We'll close it out now. You don't get to choose your name. You don't get to choose when you're born, and you don't get to choose when you're going to die. But that dash in the middle right there, that represents the one life, the only life you get to live, right? That's the choice you have. How are you going to live out that life, huh? If we live our lives knowing we have a limited number of days left, like Jesus did, huh, we will live out our life, and we will be purpose, right? We will be purposeful. We will live with intention, right? We're going to live out our life in a way where we're going to be present. We're going to be fully present. We're going to give attention to those we love and to what matters most in our life. And we're going to be powerful. We're going to be powerful because the Spirit of God lives in us and then we're going to make our days count to the glory of God.